This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. Hey, Mike, nice to see you. Good to see you again, Gregory. It's been a it's been an unbelievable year. We started out very optimistically with the uh, vaccine coming, and son of a bee, it's uh, you know it's not going to be that easy apparently. So uh, one of the things that's been on uh, I think both of our minds and the minds of so many people is how has this pandemic changed the way you think about life and uh, your country, uh, the way you live, and how, did, how, did, how has it changed the way you have lived, and how might it change how you'll live in the future? I, I'm, I love this idea for a discussion because I think we're beginning to feel like we can actually start to have it now, right? It feels like that there's this light at the end of the <clears> tunnel, <throat> and I don't know how real it is with the vaccine or not. We're hearing about variations and and how the virus is evolving. But for the moment, let's talk about that because I think now that it's about a year back, or we're not quite on a year, but pretty close to a lot of the lockdowns that happened in the States. Um, the first thing that I found out and realized about myself was I'm far more introverted than I ever thought that I was. I mean, I work in politics, which is essentially people's business. And I think being able to have some isolation, sort of guilt-free, if you will, with no excuses <laughs> of, of being able to just be alone, I think has actually been very, very healthy for me. And I know that's not a common uh, feeling that's out there. There are some of us introverts, I think, who are uh, who have been re-energized this year, learned a lot. I got to paint. I'm a painter. I got to, to explore a more creative side of myself. I, of course, was very involved with running uh, the the uh, political side of a presidential campaign in in isolation, which is unique, not just in any campaign, but in a in a, in a presidential effort with the Lincoln Project, and um, I I have learned a lot about myself. I think I'm going to come out of this a much more um, self aware person, and and I have no doubt that it's going to change my interactions with people. I think I'm a lot more methodical about who I want to spend my time with and the endeavors that I'm choosing to be associated with. And I think I've developed, um, I think, a better framework for how to do that, if that sounds nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How about, how about yourself? I, I, think, I think I've always had this very dichotomous sense of half of me travels all over the place and half of me is a guy who goes to his local bar, right? So I'm very much both of those type of people. And this year has, has made me choose to be local. And uh, I'm still, you know, less... Uh, stable geographically and all sorts of other ways uh, than most people. But so I spent much of the, 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 the lockdown in the desert and I was not only more observant of my surroundings, I was more, I was more engaged in my surroundings. I, I knew what time the, I knew what the, the sounds of the roadrunners made when they mate. I, I, I followed the, the quails and their baby quails running around the house in the yard. I, literally I followed them. Um, so I really got in touch with the beauty of of the constraints of neighborhood and, and a few people and appreciating those few people. Um, then we came to Europe in, in the fall and it's, it's very similar. Like I, I, I really enjoy 
the interactions with a few people and it's guarded interactions, right? They're with masks. And, and um, I'll give you an example, as you know, I, I, go, I go shopping at the Mercado, uh, you know, every so often. And yesterday I knew was the birthday of the woman who sells me cheese. Mm. And yesterday I took, I remembered her, actually wrote it down in my phone. And yesterday I walked in, I hadn't seen her in a week. And I said, happy birthday. And it, it was, it's really made my life smaller but much richer in many ways. Um, and I'm not as peripatetic. I'm not all over the place like I am. Secondly, um, because I always had a little bit of a strained relationship with the world and the, the meaning I'm supposed to have with it. I, you know, I, I, the last time I watched Super Bowl was when I was 15. The last time I gave a shit about most things public court, I was 18. And I don't have to pretend anymore. <laughs> so, right. And some right. of I'm, I'm so divorced from the public ritual, which most most of which has very little meaning to me. I mean, you, you know, I you, you know, you learn these things so you can talk to people at work the next day. Like, how about those cubs? You know, how right. about those dots? You know. So anyway, I feel um, I feel more uh, internal and more comfortable with it. And I found a lot of meaning in just small rituals and 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 localism. That's what it's done for me. Yeah. And, I, and again, I totally get that, right? I had this episode with these squirrels that I was kind of learning. <laughs> I was learning their family habits, right? right. And kind of watching them at the, at the same hour running down the phone lines and <laughs> figuring out which oranges they were going to pick out and eat and bring home the next day. And, and you realize all of these things I would have missed if I had been in the normal roundabout of my day. Is that sustainable though? Are we going to be able to kind of, do we just go right back to the, the whatever normal was? Is this the new normal? What happens? I would number. I mean, it, it depends what kind of life you want to lead. Uh, I in in a, I, you know God God willing and thank God that we, we haven't gotten sick and, and hopefully we will not be sick. And I, but it, the cautiousness will probably not go away for a long time. The the, the uh, I'm not going to be stripping off my mask anytime soon. I'm I'm very conscious of where I where and when I may get my wife and I may get the vaccine. So I think we are not going to. Uh, just you and I or older, not to put you in my category of oldness. Thank you for that. Um, I, I think we'll continue to be cautious. However, I have been reading a lot of things about uh, the IMF blog, uh, International Monetary Fund had a, had a blog on potential social unrest after uh, all this is done, that, that so many people who did feel so uh, restrained and unhealthily so, and who may be, who, who, who may be unleashing all sorts of energies uh, you know, anger and, and, and licentiousness or whatever, and even sort of economically, financially sort of irresponsible. So, so we're going to see a time of a lot of craziness coming out societally. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if either one of us have ever been that kind of person, but I think we're going to be ducking a lot of social uh, I don't want to put it value judgment action, but, but, but a lot of social dysfunction, a lot of social acting out. So I think uh, there will be plenty of reason to uh, keep our heads down in the coming years. Look, I think this is a, a I, I love this discussion because for the first time I feel in a year, we're actually allowing ourselves to be forward thinking, even though I don't think that it's going to be all, all you know, roses and unicorns and rainbows. I do believe that we are going through and have been going through a trauma uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a species, you know, worldwide, but specifically here in the United States, and I think that's our best frame of reference, where we have been going through these pockets of isolation, where we have seen 450,000 or whatever it is, people dying of this 
this new novel coronavirus um, that is killing that is killing us, that's making us sick, that's shutting down our economy, and it's changing the way that we live. I don't think that there's any other way to characterize it other than than trauma. And 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 I, I, what you're saying I think is exactly right. There's two schools of thought, right? The first one says it'll be like VJ Day, right after you, the victory over the Japanese, the end of World War II. <laughs> Times Square, and there'll be kissing and hugging and celebrating, and we beat the virus, and things are going to go back to normal. I don't think many of us believe that that's what's going to happen. The other version is there's kind of this slow awakening and rolling out, and there will be pockets of disruption as uh, certain countries, certain states, certain communities start to have outbreaks of the virus still, even a time of vaccine and mask wearing. Um, as we kind of start venturing out of our homes more regularly. And of course, there are going to be variants. So I think for society, for, for the better part of it, at least in your future, will be forever changed, but we are going to have to deal with that trauma. We're, we're going to have to realize that we're going through something traumatic right now and our survival instincts are moving us forward. But there is a looking back and processing and saying, what was happening to me? Was my life torn from me? What changes were made? And why could it, what is normal? And, and, and I wrote this last spring, American America needs to grieve. It's begun to have ritual of grieving with the new administration, but that's not, you know, again, centralized grieving isn't really the point per se, but there, there isn't even been, America doesn't acknowledge pain and grief very well to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I currently live in a city which has had a, 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 a flame uh, in honor of those who've died of COVID. That's already there. We're not waiting, they didn't wait a year. Uh, the, the, but 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 the processing of loss of, of sickness of mass death we've seen mass death mass death is not only lost and not but but it also gives you the sense of limitations of your own life hmm. it changes the course of your own life it changes your view of life and you know yeah. we we go through high school literature and you talk about the twenties and the and the roaring twenties was a function of the meaninglessness of World War One and the death of World War One. And now we're realizing, well, it was also the death of World War One and uh, uh, an epidemic. So, so it, yeah, right. And and so now we're seeing we're, we're, we're America. I don't know. I I, I my my obsession with America is is, is America is if, if 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 there's one sort of iconographic symbol of America, it's the happy stewardess. It's a sec the happy flight attendant. That's America. And uh, it, it can't, it can't process this while continue, continue to smile with clenched teeth and telling everybody to have a good day. Uh, so no, normal has been the smiling flight attendant and maybe America could, uh, so, so, so striving for normal is a very fucked up thing to me to be. Uh, normal wasn't so great as it was. So there's an opportunity maybe. It's absolutely, it's an opportunity for, for humanity. Absolutely. To gauge what life means. One doesn't really gauge what life means until they think about not living. Um, and we've had ample opportunity to think about the, 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 the prospect of dying. And if that doesn't change you as an individual, as a community, as a nation, uh, not, nothing will. So talk to me more about the grieving process, right? Especially the national grieving process. You're, you're in Europe right now and you're seeing these nations kind of recognize and acknowledge they're dead, honoring their dead, the lives of their dead. We didn't 
really do that until inauguration day, right? right. With, with all of the flags, right? We had Donald Trump as president basically saying, this is not a real thing. Don't worry about it. Ignore it. You know, it'll go away. Um, Biden comes in and for the first time acknowledges the night before he's sworn in as president, right? In the reflecting pond, um, the reflecting pool out front of the Lincoln Memorial and, and, and acknowledges and, and honors and reveres and grieves, begins to grieve the dead. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like for a nation to do that? How do we do that, especially as Americans? I, I mean, I, asking me, is it, why, why are you asking me? Um, one, it doesn't, you know, we're too centered on Washington. Washington is a center of governance, not necessarily the center of culture. Uh, government, governments are supposed to be responsive to and reflective of a culture that grows organically. Um, and ideally, this would be done throughout the city, throughout towns and, and cities throughout. Uh, and maybe they should be taking as a model. It's, it's weird that we're taking Washington as our model of behavior in any, on any level. But, but the point is, is that the culture has been so relentlessly positive, so relentlessly about progress, so relentlessly about the ability to control nature. And yes, we could take we could take the the, the lesson from the the, the quick uh, uh, finding of a, of a vaccine and say, well, you know, we dominated nature, or we can say, well, nature is a constant threat to us, and we may derive some wisdom about the value of nature and the the the, the proper way to fear nature, the, the proper way to fear death. Uh, in a way that makes us more mature. But uh, I just think it's not a political, it's really the, socially the United States uh, has never really been good at embracing pain uh, in ways that aren't about blaming somebody for creating it. The Alamo, the Pearl Harbor, 9-11. Significantly fewer people died in all incidents, but they were memorialized in part because you can blame you, you could, you, with a lot of racism involved, you can blame those brown people for killing us. So, but but when so far significant numbers die without anybody to blame, there's no memorials. So right. I, I don't know. This is a chance, and I, it doesn't come from me, but it, it really should come from all sorts of communities creating meaning. And maybe they are. Maybe we simply haven't read about them, but but creating meaning about a life that isn't simply about this notion of progress. Yeah, you know, early on, I think there was an attempt to blame the, the Wuhan flu, right? On, on, it's on comforting. Chinese. It was easy. Yeah. It was easy to say it was them. They did it to us. It wasn't, you know, and then, you know, obviously as it evolves and, and as those numbers didn't pull very well, he kind of dropped that after a few weeks, but blaming other people for something that afflicts us it can't be, you know, God, it can't be nature. I mean, my God, we're Americans, right? We can't have that. It's got to be somebody else attacking us and undermining us. What about, so what was, you brought up the roaring twenties. And I think that's a really apt analogy, at least for my cursory understanding of it. But I mean, you saw human beings kind of coming out and pushing and changing social norms pretty dramatically after not just the end of the war, but more importantly, the end of the pandemic, Right, because that's what more people died, and in, in, certainly domestically, in, in, in from from the flu, influenza, nineteen eighteen, um, than we had ever seen before. And you do see a certain license, there a certain social, dramatic social change where people come out and say, "I'm going to live for the moment, and I'm going to go a little bit nuts." And the social conformity stuff doesn't serve you well, especially if it could mean you're going to end up dead by some act of God. It, and, and you just hit it: the social conformity. Now, that, this is not only going to be a, a revolt. Uh, not, I shouldn't say revolt because it's that, that implies somehow planning. There will be a social uh, 
there, there will be a rebellion against conformity of all forms. Uh, the German newspaper Die Zeit had an essay two weeks ago that the conformity of sort of progressive politics will meet its end when the epidemic ends. That that, that we're not all going to be locked. So we we the sort of progressive politics has been sort of one note, Johnny. That people when, once you hear that you shouldn't eat, uh, uh, you shouldn't use a plastic. A straw, you won't use it. I mean, so so nobody could really catch up to the to the to the to the, to the new rules being imposed on the on the on the on the managerial classes. Now you're going to see some re rebelling against all the rules that have been imposed on. Again, those are those are the certain strata that plays those games and those rules. Most people don't. Um, but you're, you're going to see a, 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 a rebellion against so, political social conformity, against uh, moral social conformity, and you're going to see you're going to see a lot more spending. So the 20s will be like the 60s to the 50s as well. It'll be like the 60s and the, and the 1920s. You're going to see people breaking out of the molds that they felt were keeping them from expressing themselves, and the the pandemic will be the inflection point, but they'll be rebelling against all sorts of things that began before the pandemic. And you think that will manifest itself largely on the left? No, I'm saying politically, it'll, it'll, the, 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 the conformity, the conformity of the right has already sort of collapsed with the, with the, with the, with the dear leader's uh, political demise. Yeah. Um, but, but the left, it's, it's more the, the, the enforcement of code is done through foundations and universities and, and, and sort of a you know, and news and journalism, frankly. So, so, so the enforcement of that, that's going to be really much harder to uphold. It's just, it's, again, we're in sort of the ideological 50s and we will see the 60s coming and it's going to be a sort of an anarchic uh, trend, I believe, after this is over. Again, anything that we feel, that people, people feel has been keeping them from expressing themselves I feel many people will then break those codes. So I think what you're saying is because we are in many ways kind of a, such a tolerant society, we've become intolerant, right? Is there will be a push back on, I hate to use these terms, but the political correct crowd, right? There's so much, there's so much social pressure to be politically correct and acknowledging everybody, who everybody is, what, every, what everybody's, disadvantage is what everybody's identity and perspective is that is you can't keep up the average human being cannot keep up and there will yes. be a rejection I, of that which is basically like saying look you are who you are i am who i am and the fact that i can't conform to whatever your needs are doesn't make me a bad person yes it, it, i generally agree with everything you're saying except i don't believe we've been a tolerant society i just think we've been in, we've been we've i mean again american newspapers have the opinion they publish the opinions a through c maybe a through b plus the the, the level of the the the, the 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 range of opinion that american journalism actually expresses is very small it's extraordinarily narrow so i think we've gone from from straight sort of conformity to sort of more doctrinaire enforcing conformity, uh, but we've never been loosey goosey. But now it's it, there's a there's a there is more of a constraint on how people feel that they what they can say and how they can say it. Boy, that sounds like a boring fucking roaring twenty twenties coming up compared to what we saw in the last twenties, right? We had 
you know, speakeasies and bootleg booze, as, you know, pushing back well, on prohibition and more dancing. I believe those will happen you know. too. I just can't okay. speak to that as well. I, be, I be, as I said, there'll be sexual licentiousness. I think that was in the IMF. That, 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 that there's been several of this. Uh, the Yale epidemiologist, I believe, has predicted this as well. Sort of uh, uh, vast spending. Uh, uh, sexual licentiousness. So, so that will be part of this push against having to behave. Uh, and, and there's been a, there's there's a lot of social shaming as part of the process of getting people to behave in uh, collectively, right? I mean, it, it, people have you know you have to wear your mask. It's all understandable. Uh, and it's in my experience, and I, 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 there's nothing scientific about it in America in a place. That, that emphasizes more than any other place, individual right, mm -hmm. the shaming and greater uh, because, because there's more to compensate. You have to compensate for someone saying, I don't have to wear a mask. You know, where I am right now, most people wear masks. Not everybody does. There's, there's, people suck all over the place. <laughs> but yeah. in America, there's more of an encouragement to do what you want. There's, so the, the, the shame level, I think, of the Americas, both both in terms of the necessary shaming of 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 of, uh, of a pandemic, and then the, the progressive shaming, um, I think I think uh, I think people are tired of it. And I think um, let me segue into another subject. At the beginning of the pandemic, I do what I do to try to process things. I read a lot, right? So I had read. So I read a study uh, in Toronto in the first SAR, the SARS epidemic. Lots of depression. Lots of depression. Um, and they'll be exhibiting themselves more once the sort of the immediate threat yeah. of the virus recedes. Yeah. So we're going to see a lot of unhappiness, a lot of depression, and a lot of acting out. And, you know, there's, there will be also a lot of creativity and a lot of fun. That's hopeful. Maybe not for me, but go on. Yeah, for the all the extroverts out there, for those of us that have been comfortable becoming reclusive hermits, I think we've kind of we may miss the this next roaring twenties decade and just be casual observers. Exactly. Here on the podcast, but we will be covering it day in and day out. <laughs> Watching wait, everybody else what? have fun. What did you do? <laughs> be a lot of good guests to have on the right. show. <laughs> Uh, I, look, that's it is fascinating that it's happening. You know, uh, literally a hundred years um, after. Um, well, I mean, to almost to the year, right? The Roaring Twenties of the nineteen twenties expressed the same sentiment. It was happened after a global conflict, some national trauma, and of course, the end of the Spanish influenza. And we may be hitting to something very, very similar at this same time. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I, I hope uh, I have you don't go back fully into the life that you now say uh, maybe you shouldn't have been living and fully and, and I hope you paint more and I hope you, uh, you know, keep centered. The world pulls at you and sometimes, and you found an, an excuse, a tragedy that helped you center. And that is something you can do for your, with your, you can do that to yourself without uh, external threats. Yeah, and look, I think it's a good way to kind of close the loop on the way we began the conversation, right? It's I have found a more creative space for myself. I have found a little bit more area and focus where I can do things like write, where I never felt um, the license to do that. I feel guilty doing that. Um, there's a lot of things that I've enjoyed doing um, in solitude, probably, you know, in my own head that I think I probably did not permit myself to do as much as I would have liked um, and what gave me that license was the recognition that everybody's inside. It's a responsible thing to do. So I was doing good by doing that. Mm -hmm. And my hope is I'm going to be able to 
um, be as self-aware as I have been. And I guess my hope for the country and for, for societies is that we will all be a little bit more self-aware of what actually happened. I think the big danger is two months after this, we'll forget it. It'll just be kind of dropped. And we'll, we, we will go back to kind of the hamster wheel of life um, and not be uh, not learn the lessons that I think all of us were forced to learn. There's only so long you can overlook it. Uh, after a year being largely isolated and 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 constantly from people, it changes your perspective. It just it has to as a human being. There's just whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you like it or you don't like it, it's changing your perspective of who you are and your role in, in kind of the broader country and society. Yeah. On that note, uh, let's uh, let's think about what to talk about next week, and uh, we'll see we will see you all next week. Thank you. Talk to you next episode. Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us that those five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.